You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Uh, today's message was um, very personally challenging to work through and to work on and to just wrestle with God with. It's uh, not a light or fluffy message. It's not an easy message. It's actually got quite a few hard and difficult truths in it. Um, I was considering this because when for Mother's Day, um, usually the focus is on celebrating mom and really taking time to give mom a break and build her up and be very thankful for her because um, mom, mom's always the one that we can turn to. She's always the one there. She's, um, she's always around sacrificing. That's not always the case with dads. There's some really difficult truths to walk through um, in the area of fatherhood um, culturally for us, for our, our nation. And I don't want to just let that some, be something we ignore or we just push aside. It's something we need to acknowledge and work through and be trained up so that as we go out into the world, we can help make sure that it doesn't continue. Um, and so wanting to have these hard truths out there and apparent to us and something that we can grab onto what God's intent is for us in the area of fatherhood. And so this isn't just for dads. This isn't just for soon-to-be fathers or grandfathers. This is actually for the whole community to have something they own and understand and be able to communicate out to everybody in this area. Um, but it is important that we look through this through uh, God's lens and not our own to understand that God felt that this world was worth redeeming, that people were worth his sacrifice, no matter what they've went through, no matter what situation they're in, that he, he died for them and he wants them to be redeemed and returned to him. And we need to treat people this way, we need to look at people this way, and we need to treat ourselves this way as well. No matter what condition we're in, we can return to God, we can turn to his wise patterns and accept his counsel, and we, our lives can be renewed day by day. Um, so consider that as we move forward within this. Because there is a big problem. Um, I'm going to go through some statistics, and they're very, they can be very challenging, they can be very sad, very difficult to work through. Um, some of them, I'm not, I'm, I, there should be an entirety on your notes. I'm not going to read a couple of them. Some of them I'm going to slightly rephrase just to being sensitive for those who are in the audience. I don't know everyone's story. Some of these things, it's, you might be able to read it. It might be harder to hear it, but they're all there. It's something we need to realize. Children living in female-headed families with no spouse present had a poverty rate of 47.6%, which is over four times the rate of married coupled families meaning if you have two women, that there's no husband, no dad in the home, and they're raising kids, one of them is in poverty. One of them is not only having to fulfill both roles of mom and dad in the household, but they're also struggling simply to put food on the table as an additional stress in their life. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services states fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. I was considering the people in my life that I've known struggle with drug and alcohol, drugs or alcohol. I'm sure pretty much everyone in here knows somebody in their lives that has struggled either in the past or is currently with drugs or alcohol. And I was thinking about what is it that causes that, that leads to this, for it to be so pervasive, something that is such a problem, not just for fatherlessness, but in general, if we think about that. What is the root cause of this that we can try to work through? 
And it might begin with fun for somebody when they're young, something new, something just to try out or rebel against or whatever reason, but it doesn't continue because of that. No, it continues because of the way it made you feel, the way it made you better, what you felt better able to cope with your life. It made it easier. It helped deal with the pain or the trials or the difficulties. And it's trained your brain, if you've walked, worked through this or are walking through this, it's trained your brain that this is the only way you can manage to get through life, is to return back to that thing that makes it easier, makes it so it takes away some of that sadness, some of that difficulty. And then that's where addiction comes from, because your brain believes this is the only way you can continue on living, is to return to this time and time again. Father involvement in schools is associated with a higher likelihood of students getting mostly A's. This was true for fathers in biological parent families, for stepfathers, and for fathers heading single parent families. What is this saying? Is that simply by dad caring about what's going on with their children, with what is occupying the majority of their time as they're growing up, going through school, by them simply caring to be involved, their children will do better. They'll do better in every aspect of their life this way. This is simply the statistic they've um, latched onto here. But if you want them to do better, we have to care about what they're doing. It has to matter. It has to be conveyed that it's important to them. And when it is, they succeed. Dad cares. Dad's actually going to follow up. Dad's going to show some investment here. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Fatherless children have more trouble academically, scoring poorly on tests of reading, mathematics, and thinking skills. Children from father-absent homes are more likely to be truant from school, more likely to be excluded from school, more likely to leave school, and less likely to attain academic and professional qualifications in adulthood. Children aged 10 to 17 living with two biological or adoptive parents were significantly less likely to experience trauma as a child. These things are a tragedy. A tragedy that they're even a statistic for us to look at, let alone to realize that it's genuinely happening. It's an absolute tragedy, and it is utterly and completely avoidable. And something we need to realize, something, the reason I'm trying to convey this is this can be avoided. It's not an inevitability for some. It's not a, well, this is just always going to happen to somebody. No, this can be 100% not the case. And so we have to look at what's causing this, what's happening here. And now there's a challenge here, though, that I want to address ahead of time. We're going to look at the causes. We're going to look at what God says about it, and we're going to look at how to avoid it, how to move forward. What do you do if you're in it? If you're in it right now, if you are that child or you're raising children and dad's not in the home, what do you do then? What if you have family members that are walking through this? How do you help them? They're in it right now. They can't avoid it because it's already happened. And so I'm going to have some things about that, but the first and foremost is to realize that we, we serve a redemptive God and realize there's nothing you can change about the past, only what you start changing now and moving into. What we can do right now is grab onto God's word, his good practices, his advice, and we can rally together as a community to help and love on one another, to help those that are walking through it make it through it 
so they don't succumb to the way of the world, so that we don't have more statistics. That's what we can do right now for those that are in it right now. You can't change it for them, but you can make it better. You can show them the love of Jesus. You can show them the good wisdom that God has, and you can literally be there for them. If you know a single mother struggling to raise her children the best as she can, offer to watch her children from time to time. Give that woman a break. If you're a male responsible figure in that, their life, offer to go and take those kids out from time to time. Show them good fatherly love and advice. We can be there for people to help them best as we can through this time. Causes of fatherlessness. There's two major things that has been identified that caused this to happen. So those are the things we should be avoiding. Those should, we should be things we're counseling people against, helping them through. First, 50% of the children born to married parents today will experience the divorce of their parents before they're 18 years old. One out of two. Mom and dad are going to split. And someone's not going to be in the home that they're being raised in. Bouncing back and forth equally is a, a sad excuse for having both parents at home. I know some have already been through divorce. Some of them are walking through it. I'm not trying to condemn anything. There's a reality we face if we can avoid divorce in the first place. Not if we're walking through it now. If we're walking through it now, it's a whole different set of steps we have to walk through. But if we can avoid it in the first place, the child doesn't have to go through that. 40.6% of all newborns in 2008 were born to unmarried parents. It's 1.7 million children. This is in 2008. Things haven't gotten better in the last 14 years. These are children that mom and dad aren't even together to have that point of having the split. This part is a particular challenge for me um, in trying to be honoring of my parents because I'm a child of both of these statistics. I was born at a very young age. <laughs> you got it the fastest. <laughs> and my parents weren't married. They were young, they were in love, they were passionate, and here I am. But they weren't married, and that makes things harder. Because they did get married a couple years later, but then two years after that, they got divorced. And so... If there wasn't a child involved, then they might have made different decisions to not get married in the first place, not, suffer, not go through that challenge in the first place, but trying to make things right and then not following up with that led to them separating. And it was really because of a lot of very poor choices my father made um, between his choice of profession, which was illegal, and being unfaithful. So this is actually a really challenge um, if you are a child of this, whether you're an adult or still a child in the home, is to honor your father and mother through this. And I'm going to tell you right now, you've been called to honor your father and mother, and there aren't stipulations on that command. They're not if they've been the best father, if they've done everything to deserve it, if they're, they've celebrated every birthday with you and made it to every baseball game, or whatever it is. There isn't any stipulation there. 
It says, honor your father and mother. And so this will be very challenging if you have a father that wasn't there for you, made a lot of poor decisions to make sure you honor them, to realize that my dad did not make good decisions, but I still love him, and I still want the best for him, and I'm really proud of where he is now. It took a long time to grow through that. Today, he is a chemical dependency counselor. He's helping people work through addiction that he fought through to live better lives than he lived. And I'm really proud of where he's at today, but it doesn't change the challenges that we faced because of the decisions that were made then. But regardless, I will continue to honor him. We have to continue to honor simply because God said for us to do so. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you're not going to want to. And God said, this is for your best. I need you to trust me. And so we don't want someone to go through this because at that point in time, my parents separated and my mom, my mom moved on. She found a wonderful man that's my stepfather today and they were going to get married. And I was beginning to become one of these statistics. I was very angry, didn't know why I was angry, but as every, any child knows that there's something wrong because mom and dad are supposed to be together. Any child understands that, the simplicity of God's plan. When God says you need to come to me through a child's eyes, there's a reason for that. There's a simplicity and truth to his plan of what things are right and things are wrong. When mom and dad are not together, that's, that's not how it was intended to be. Whether you're in that situation or not now, it wasn't what it was intended. It wasn't what it was intended when you got married. If, you're, if you've gone through a divorce, I don't want to condemn you at all, but I guarantee when you got married, you weren't wanting to get divorced. That wasn't your intent. That wasn't the plan. We walk through this now through the grace God gives, the forgiveness he gives. We try to walk better in the light we are in today. But the child doesn't understand. They know this is wrong. This isn't meant to be. And there's anger associated with that. I was the child that was getting written up every day, every other day. Day after day after day after day, just lashing out at the world around. My mom really didn't know what to do. There's only so much you can say, only so much you can punish, and it's not changing. So she actually reached out to my father, and she said, you need, to, you need to write your son, because my father was in prison. He couldn't show up. He couldn't take me out. He couldn't sit down with me a couple times a week. He's not there, and he can't be there. So she reached out, and the, what you can do is you can write your son. And so he did. And he asked me to honor my mother and be happy for her and support her and realize that we can't, we can't change what is, but we can change what will be. And things don't change in a moment. I didn't immediately become good and obedient. but it's a seed of truth. We can love and support each other and we can try to be better each day following the good counsels that God has for us so that it isn't what it was before. It'll be something better that God has for us to move into. And so if we don't want to be in that situation, we have to avoid that situation. So anyone that's already in it or moving forward, what you can do now is make sure that those coming after you don't have to go through it. That's the goal, that this doesn't exist anymore that homes are whole, that families are whole, that mother and father are both there. That's the goal. 
and we don't have anybody in the statistic. So what are the causes? How can we avoid it if we can? First and foremost, the first cause is divorce. I want to talk about what God has to say about this. One in two marriages will end in divorce, statistically speaking, whether inside or outside of the church. One in two. That is abysmal. Why? Why? This is what God has to say about this out of Matthew 19. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. End of the day, God does not want people to be separated. He does not want divorce. And the reason for it, he says, is our hardness of hearts. It's people choosing to live selfishly for their own desires and not uphold the covenant that they made to each other on the day of their marriage. Consider if you are married, the vows you made to one another. If you're going to be married, the vows you're going to say aren't actually easy things. Marriage is hard. Marriage requires sacrifice and patience and being long-suffering from time to time. It's work. It's not an easy thing, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. It's not something we should walk into and go, well, I hope it works out. Because that attitude ends in divorce. When it's just, I hope it works out. Because unless you're willing to put in the hard work, it's not going to work out. Because we're people, and we're selfish, and we're sinful. We have to be determined to uphold the covenant that we've made before God. And it's one or it's both. It only takes one to destroy marriage. You, other partner can be fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting for their marriage and trying to do the right thing and trying to uphold and trying to work through it. But if one person decides they're going to selfishly deny the words of their covenant they made to one another, it's going to destroy that marriage. So much faster if it's both. God has no desire for mar marriages to end, no desire for divorce. He says, on the account of sexual immorality, he will allow it, but he doesn't desire it. Just because God has allowed something doesn't mean it's his desire. We have to realize that. We live under the law of grace. Everything is permissible, but not everything is good. We have to own this. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean we should continue in it, continue in the practice to support it, to encourage it. God doesn't want it. I know there's a myriad of reasons that people get divorced, and I'm not here to judge anybody for any reasons if you've walked through one. We, we need to understand that it's not God's desire, though. And for those coming after that, we don't want it for them. It's not the best for them. It's not the best for the rest of their life. They're not, to have that scar, to have that pain, to have something that you've walked through, it's not the best. The second area 
is to start acting like you're married before you're married. You can read your notes. It's, I looked at the statistics for this. It's 90% of those that get married will have done this. 90%. That's not one out of two, that's nine out of 10. There's a certain level of cavalierness about this, and it's been going on forever. The Bible records this for us. In thousands and thousands of years, people have not been doing it in the order that God has been saying, hey, this is not until you're married. And this often, often results in children. They don't just show up. Shouldn't be a surprise. You're pregnant? How did this happen? We have to consider that if you take part in this, it's, there's always a chance. The only 100% foolproof way to avoid having children before you want children is not to partake. To not behave like you're married until you're married. It's not getting things out of order. Because the one who's going to suffer, you will suffer through this. You will suffer because of this. I've read, um, going through a book right now, talking about this area of married life and the things associated, even if people stay together forever and get married and they, they, their marriages last, it still damages usually the onset of the marriage. It causes difficulties and struggles that shouldn't be there, let alone if there's many, many, many other people before you end up with the person you get married, even more scars to deal with. And so it's walking through that, encouraging people the best as we can to not. Unfortunately, not a lot of people are listening. And at 90%, I could say most of us here were not successful. I was not successful. I'm going to be very honest and open. I'm not going to condemn anybody. We walk through it. We accept the grace God offers us. We don't live in the past. We move forward in His grace. So how do we avoid these things in the first place? What is the best things that God has put forward that will give us the best chance of success? First off, Titus 2.2. Older men, I'm not going to put an age on this. I'm going to put a description. An older man is someone who's gone before, someone who has something to share, someone who's walked the road, someone who's experienced either the difficulties or the successes and is able to share that to those coming after them. Older men are to be sober-minded. I've come recently to realize that term sober-minded doesn't mean not drunk or intoxicated because it's often actually tied in when one part of the verse will be sober-minded and later on it'll say not drunk with wine. So what does sober-minded mean? Clear-headed, not distracted, not all over the place, able to focus in. You are sober-minded. You can think clearly. You can process clearly. You can communicate clearly. You've cleared the plate. When you're interacting with somebody, you're acting with them. You're not distracted by the phone. You're not distracted by all the other things you need to do. You're present, sober-minded, dignified. We don't use the word dignified enough anymore. We've kind of lost track of that description. Somebody that's respectable, that's honorable, 
that you can look at their life and that's someone you want to emulate. They're, they're in right standing in what they're doing. You know that that person, that person's someone who actually practices what they preach. They're endeavoring to walk with God day by day. They're a dignified individual. When they say something, I'm not just going to disregard it. Self-controlled. They've learned to restrain. They've learned when not to do things, even though they want to. Sound in faith. They've walked through difficult things in life and continued to profess Christ through them. They've continued to promote the good teachings of God even when life is not amazing. They are sound in faith. Sound in love. They actually care about you. They care about people. They care about their families. They care about expressing the goodness of God to those around them. You know they have your best in mind. And in steadfastness, they're there. They're available. You can reach out to them when you need them. They're not just fun and exciting. There was a description of someone's grandfather once when I was younger. They said trying to get a hold of him was like trying to catch the wind. When he was around, it was great. He was fun. There was, it was always the life of the party, but he wasn't there. That's not someone you can rely on. That's not someone you can turn to. That's not someone who's going to be your example because they're off and away. Steadfastness, being present, being reachable day by day because life happens day by day. Life doesn't happen a couple times a year. It, it does, but the things in life happen continuously. And when we need someone, we need them now, usually. So we have to be the examples. If you're someone who's gone before, if you're an older man, if you've, based on this description, you've qualified yourself. I'm an older man. We have to set the example. We have to be someone that the younger men can look to and are willing to ask advice and listen. At least listen. They might not always act on it, but they can listen. They can trust what you're saying. They can understand that it is, is good, sound, godly teaching. And they can wrestle with making the choice of whether or not to listen to it or not. But we have to be there for them to look to. Because if everyone around them is just, they live the life that I'm already living, if there aren't any good examples, then what's going to cause the change? Secondly, younger men. Titus 2.6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's the whole line. I didn't cut anything off. There's nothing that comes after that. Be self-controlled. If you are a younger man, if you were a younger man, if you're raising a younger man, you understand that if they could simply be self-controlled, it would solve most problems. Could you just think about it for half a second before you do it or before you say it? It would be so much easier. Self-controlled, disciplined, Learn some discipline in your life to actually look ahead more than the moment, more than the feeling, more than the ha-ness of being a young man. Because God's got an order to things. Young men, we hopefully will become fathers, good fathers. But it doesn't, become, it doesn't go, young man, good father. There's actually some things that are supposed to happen in between that. God has a plan. He wants you to start out as a young man, because that's how you all start out. And become a good man, a man that follows after God, that seeks his counsel, that puts him at the center of your life. You're not going to be perfect yet. 
You're not going to exactly replicate the goodness of God, but you're headed that way. You are working through your sanctification. You're seeking to be a good man that someone would want to marry, not just an attractive, fun man. There's far too often that that's the, that's the descriptor we're looking for. Is he attractive? Is he fun? Does he make me laugh? Okay, I'll marry him. Was he a good man? Good man. So that you can then, someone wants to marry you, you're someone worth marrying. Think about that terms for a moment. We always think about who we're marrying or judging them. Judge yourself for a moment. Are you somebody worth marrying? Take some ownership. We have to take ownership over it. Are you somebody worth marrying? You find that someone, then you get to learn to be a good husband because you actually don't have it all figured out. I had to learn that. I got married at 20. I had a lot of learning to do. I was not immediately a good husband. It took some time. Learn to become a good husband because a good husband is the one who becomes a good father. These can happen in all different orders, but if they do, they tend to cause a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, a lot of trial, a lot of grief, a lot of stress if they're not happening in the order that God prescribes to us. It's not there just to be a rule. It's there because it works. Because it's the best. It's the fullness of life that he desires for us to follow that ordering. So I'd ask that you would consider if you're in this room right now and you are wanting to become married someday, maybe there's a special person in your life right now and you think it's going to be them. Or if you have a child or a friend or someone else who's in this situation, please give them this bit of advice. This person that you think is amazing and beautiful and wonderful and just everything right now, when you're not with them for a moment, consider. This person may be fun and they may be someone that makes you feel good, feel good about yourself. Is that all you're looking for right now? Fun and feel good. I'm going to tell you, fun and feel good is a friend. If what you're looking for right now is fun and feel good, have friends, lots of friends, and go have fun. But a spouse is much more than a friend. Consider that person. Do you want to marry that person? Do you want to spend the rest of your life with them? Do you want to share your finances with them? Can you trust them with your money? Do you want to trust them with your things? Would you even let them drive your car right now? Do you want to rely upon them when you have to go into surgery? When you really need somebody? How do they handle the difficult situations in life? Do they cut bait or do they stick it out? Is that person someone you actually want to be with for the rest of your life? And if the answer is no that I would encourage you to go back to being friends. Maybe the answer will be yes later, but for now, don't keep pursuing that relationship in its course because biologically, when we continue relationships in a more romantic manner, they will take themselves step by step to the point of behaving like you're married. And if we don't want to be married yet, then you have to be self-controlled and avoid these things because it's completely avoidable. Don't put yourself in the situation. Well, what happens if it's already happened? 
this advice is going to be even less popular. But it's from God and not from me, so you can take it up with him. <laughs> Exodus twenty-two, sixteen. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If you're acting like you're married, get married. If you don't want to be married, don't act like you're married. Would be the easier way to go about doing that. That's the self-control part. I heard some really good advice at one point, and it's just so very true. It's aroused passion has no conscience. In the heat of a moment, nobody really cares about any of their convictions, about any of their morals, about really anything, because it's the heat of the moment. You don't accidentally get to that moment. But if you've gone through that moment and now you're acting like you're married, you need to get married. Notice it doesn't say, hey, if you're now pregnant, get married. It doesn't say that. It says if you've started to behave like the way two married people are supposed to, before that's ever happened, you need to work on this commitment. Because if you're waiting until you're actually pregnant, You've got things way out of order. It's going to make it way harder. You're not even committed to the person you're having a baby with. And now not only are you committing to that person, but you're committing to that child forever. It leads to difficulty and pain often. Trials. People make it through it. By the grace of God, people make it through it. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be a challenge. Because above all, if we do this next step, it'll sort a lot of this out. Colossians three sixteen and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Make sure God is the one guiding you. Make sure that you're submitting your choices to God before you've made them. That's the real crucial step here. Anybody can submit it afterwards. God, it was such a terrible idea. Yep. That doesn't help you. Submitting them to God beforehand by being rich in his word beforehand, we can realize this, we can understand this, we can own this so that we don't encounter these troubles later on. If you're in a relationship and you want it, want it to be the best it can be, see what God has to say about relationships. If you're planning on getting married, see what God has to say about getting married. We should take all of these things really seriously. The word of God is there. Most of it, most, is plain, easy to see, clear, if we access it if we put, go actually go before him, if we don't try to do it on our own, but actually seek God's good word. And then when we go through life, when we enter those trials, when we find ourselves in those places, it'll be like a, oh yeah, that's right. God told me this would happen. God told me I would be tempted. God told me I'd be battling against my flesh. It's how, this is what's happening right now. I can either listen to the good counsel of the Lord and flee the situation, or I can keep pursuing it and I know there will be consequences of it. That's what God said would happen. 
We get this when we dwell richly in the word of the Lord. Okay, sad stuff away. You want to be a good father. You want your husband to be a good father. You want your children to have good husbands and have them to be good fathers or themselves to be a good husband and a good father. What does a good father look like? Now, before I go through all this, I want to, I want to add a little note onto this. Uh, I gave this on same message Thursday night, and there's some good feedback afterwards and just some struggles that people had in realizing that no matter where you're at in life, you can begin to apply this now. If you are not a father yet and you would like to be a, a good father, if you're raising children right now and you don't think I've done a great job, start applying it now. If your children are already grown and you feel like you missed the boat, you haven't. You're still here. You're still their father. You can still give these good bits of wisdom to them. And you can say, son or daughter, I don't feel I did a great job in this area and I don't want you to have to go through the same. This is the wise things that I have learned. I still have this for you. You can still communicate that to your children and to your grandchildren. It's not too late because you're still here. So don't, for one moment, condemn yourself in this. Accept the gift of grace that God is willing to give to you and move forward in the wise patterns that he has for you today and keep doing it day after day. So first, a good father is compassionate. And of Psalm 103, 13, it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. If we still have children in the home, we have to remember that they are children. They are not adults. They're getting there. A lot of times, especially if they're little children, they have no idea why they're doing the things they're doing, even though they shouldn't be doing them. It just drives you up the wall. Just absolutely, why on earth would you do that, son? I had this two days ago. Why on earth would you spit water all over your sister's pillow right before bed? Why would you do that, son? And they really don't know. Somehow in their mind, it seemed like a good idea. We have to have a certain level in the mmness of compassion and realizing that they are children. And that's not that we don't discipline them and not that we don't walk them through it, but making sure that it's appropriate and making sure that we're treating them and guiding them as children. And as they grow older, I've found as teaching middle schoolers, that doesn't change a whole lot. <laughs> Why did you do that? I don't know. You're 12. You should know by now. We have to have compassion on them. Understanding that as they're making these decisions, as they're getting closer to adulthood, there's like this great comedy of, I'm just going to change everything about you and all of your hormones and everything's going to be mixed up until you're 25. So you're really not going to have a good handle on anything for a while. This is what we're going to send you in adulthood. Have fun. We have to have compassion that they don't always really get it. They don't always, always grasp it. They don't understand good advice when it's given to them being able to walk them through this, particularly once your children become adults and you give them a good advice that you walk through, that you know the outcome of the steps and they go, I'll be fine, I'm the exception. 
you've been here. (laughs) And to be able to walk them through it and say, hey, it didn't work out, did it? No, it didn't. That's not a time for I told you so's. It's time to say, hey, it didn't work out. Now we got to deal with this. This is how I recommend you do that. Please listen this time because I want the best for you. I don't want you to live a difficult, painful life. Help them walk through it with compassion. Be your family's champion. I don't care if they're still at home or they're grown. Be your family's champion. Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in the... in Egypt before your eyes and then in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. I think about what a wonderful stepfather I had. He was my champion. How you can be a father to someone even if you didn't, you didn't have the genetic addition but being their champion, to fighting for them when something's not right, to be able to carry them, to lead the way, to clear the way, to fend off the predators. Be your family's champion. Make sure they can turn to you and rely on you and know that you will be there when they need you. And cherish your wife out of Ephesians 5, 28 through 29, it says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. A good father will be a good husband. He will show his children how a man is supposed to interact with a woman. There is supposed to be love and respect and honor because there is great security in knowing that mom and dad are, their relationship is okay, that your home is okay. There's less anxiety, there's less difficulties, less frustration, there's less pain when marriages are whole. We don't give enough credence to that, that you need to cherish your wife. Let your children know how relationships are supposed to be. Your expectations that you love your wife for who she is, not because of what she wears or how she cuts her hair or any of these things that, are more, that we think of as a society as the physical. There's too much focus on this and rather than the person mom is, we honor her for who she is. And guide your children. Be the one who instructs them. Be the one who trains them up in the way they should go. And the first Thessalonians 2, it says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Take time to help your children develop the traits you want them to exhibit in their life. If there's things you want them to be as adults, if you want them to work hard, teach them to work hard. If you want them to be trustworthy, teach them to be trustworthy. If you want them to be steadfast and patient and kind and honorable, teach them these things. Do not abdicate that role to the teacher you send them to at school. The teacher should be teaching these good things, but it shouldn't be originating from them. As a teacher, I taught moral behavior in my classroom, but my primary job was to teach them math. 
They're sending them to me because I know how to teach them math. That's what you want your teacher to focus on. Math, history, science, social studies, all the other things that you haven't, you went through school, but there's definitely a lot more to study for it. We need to recognize the work the teachers put in, but recognize they're not supposed to be teaching your children how to be good people. Decent human beings. They shouldn't be fighting to teach your children how to behave. That begins at home. Don't abdicate that to them. Because although there are amazing teachers out there, not all of them have the same morals that you do. Not all of them have the same standards as you do. Who do you want raising your children? God wants it to be you. Make sure it's you. And take time to enjoy life with your family. Of Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9, it says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Time is important, and how you spend it is what your children will learn from you. If you, as a man, and this can be very hard that we have to realize, if all you do is provide, you're always at work, you're always fixing the car, you're always out in the yard, that's what you do. You are providing for your family, and it is important, but that is, if that's all you ever do, that's what your children will learn. That this is the most important thing for a man to do. It's for him to be at work. It's for him to be outside. It's for him to be fixing things, but not to be with me. Family really, it's important, but it's not that important. These other things are more important. Is that what you want them to learn? Because whether you're intending to or not, they're going to learn by what they see you do. And if you want them to value their family... You have to spend time with them as a family. And even if you still need to take care of those things, take them outside with you. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and three-year-old. They're with me while we're cutting and chopping wood, while we're hauling it in the wheelbarrow. Even if they can't lift it, we learn about teamwork during those times. One on either end of the log. They can come with you. They can learn with you as you go through the things that are necessary in life, the things we have to take care of. There's no reason our children can't walk along with us as we do this. And then take time to just have fun with them. I'm still learning this. With, when you spend all your time trying to take care of everything, you, by the time at the end of the day, you just kind of want to sit and do nothing. I fully understand that. I get that. It doesn't change that I should be having fun with my children, should be enjoying my children, should be teaching them these things. None of us are exempt. We all have something we need to work on, but to recognize it and to begin walking in it. So the last thing I want to talk about is something I want to say to the children here. Children are people that were born at some point. Thank you all for being here. <laughs> Whether you're at home or you're all grown, 
the lesson is the same. Listen. Listen to the things your father has to say. Listen and consider. If you're at home, you need to take the, te- you, you need to take the next step. It's not really a, a conditional. Act upon what your parents have told you. Listen, consider, and act. You need to. You need to be obedient under your parents. If you're not at home anymore, take some long time to actually listen and consider. Don't just kind of when they start talking, do this with the phone, and you know when the voice dies down and go, yeah, it's great talking to you, Mom. It's great talking to you, Dad. No, actually listen to what they have to say. Consider it. Seriously consider it, that they've, they've been before. They've walked through things you haven't walked through. And it may not directly apply in the same way it did to them. And say that. Say, I really appreciate what you're telling me. The situation's a little bit different because of this, but I'm going to see if I can apply that in some way. Listen, consider, honor what they've said. Proverbs 23, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Now the last bit of advice is for your entire life, whether you're a child, whether you're grown, whether your father has passed on, give honor. Give honor to your father and mother. Speak highly of them, even if there's not a lot to speak highly about. Give them honor and consideration. Be respectful. Acknowledge that there were difficult choices that had to be made and they weren't always the best choices, but you were able to learn from them at the very least. The very least that you have from poor choices your parents made, you were able to learn. And you can acknowledge that. Because not, all, not everybody had a good relationship with their father. Not everybody currently has a good relationship with their father. That doesn't change that God says to honor. Exodus 20.12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land your Lord God is giving you. Honor them. Matthew 7, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We get to choose as we move forward what we're going to build the house with. We need to build it on the rock of Christ and his good word and his love and his forgiveness, his redemption. We need to, that needs to be the foundation. But what you build the house with matters. Is it going to be with the wisdom he provides? Or is it going to be with straw and hay and the things of this world? So I would just encourage you, continue pressing into the Lord. Continue listening to his good wisdom. Amen?